for Thought on WJR is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. In the years since 1942, when William Beveridge published his report about what is now referred to as the social safety net, the welfare system has grown larger, spread, and gotten increasingly more complex and less popular. Originally, the idea was to use the wealth of a nation to help its people realize the life they most wanted to live. Today, our compassion seemingly comes in ways that are cruel, inefficient, paternalistic, and complex. An article published in several news sources touted that 2.2 million people have rolled off the SNAP program since President Trump has taken office. Liberals are upset and conservatives rejoice, and both do so for illogical assumptions. I don't have to remind you what happens when anyone assumes. Here's an idea. Let's put away this political thought that is often an inch deep and a mile wide, along with our wildly inaccurate generalizations, and think about constructive ways for us to help people develop self-sufficiency in their lives. First, let's put food first and create food security in households So everyone's mind is free to work on the other challenges they face, and they are able to pursue the life they most want. Next, let's talk about creating positive solutions legislatively. Here's an idea on tax policy. Let's develop a negative income tax bracket for people who are working but are not making enough to be self-sufficient. We can use our self-sufficiency standard as the baseline and at the same time incentivize people to get jobs, keep more of their own money, and need less of ours in the form of the safety net. I think there are many policy ideas we can create if we begin to think a bit better and deeper, and it starts with changing our attitude. Jerry Prasan, my co-host, has impacted me. He believes unreservedly that the people served by the Food Bank Council Network are worthy of investing in, and I do too. Jerry and I are back here to talk policy and how it affects us in our efforts to help the people we serve reach self-sufficiency. Come back and be with us. We'll be right here. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson here in the WJR studio. And it's a little chilly outside, Jerry. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, it's It's been an interesting week. I mean, lots to talk about on the show. I know we're going to have an awesome conversation again with a fabulous guest coming right up. But as another little precursor, uh, we're going to juxtapose the government shutdown with what happens when schools are closed. Because schools were closed a lot this last week. And so it's going to be interesting to just think about 
about these t- these two things side by side. Well, the, you're right. The the government shutdown and then the, the the effect on the weather here in the Midwest and particularly here in Michigan. Um, but th- speaking of being cold, uh, things have definitely been a bit cool down in Washington D.C. And so to talk about the shutdown, we've invited our friend and uh, the Feeding America director of Tax and Public Policy, Jeff Plague, is with us. And Jeff, welcome to Food for Thought. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you. Well, it's great to have you. So before we dive into the deep end of the pool here to talk about the effects of the shutdown and what the future of that is, uh, introduce yourself for, I guess, uh, you know, 90 seconds or so about who you are and how you came to this position. Sure, I'd be happy to. I am um, uh, almost two years into my tenure here at Feeding America, working on primarily tax, but also appropriations and a, sort of a range of other uh, policy issues whenever they let me um, sort of dabble and, and try to help where I can. Uh, I spent about 15 years on Capitol Hill um, before working at a couple of other nonprofit coalitions uh, before coming to Feeding America. Um, had the opportunity to work for some really terrific members in both the House and the Senate. Um, have been in Washington for about 25 years now, I guess, since I finished college. And um, am a proud Michigan native. So when they cleaned oh, wow. the swamp, you ended up at Feeding America? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, 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 to sort of be serious just for a second if I can, um, you know, one of the things uh, I took tremendous pride in um, working for the government and being a public servant and trying to, to sort of make a small impact um, in whatever way I could to sort of help improve things for people. And, you know, being a uh, public policy and advocacy um, professional for a charitable organization is even more rewarding than that. It gives hmm. folks like me an opportunity to uh, take what I learned during uh, my time working right. um, in government and sort of being involved in the public policy process. And it, it can be a, a, a sort of a, a hard to understand and navigate sort of process. And the unfortunate reality is the people who are often most impacted by those decisions are the ones who have the least ability to sort of have their voice be heard in those discussions. And so that's really what we do in Feeding America on behalf of all the people we serve is we help give voice um, to the people who really need their voices heard. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here with uh, Food for Thought, change that conversation and represent those who might not have a voice that's certainly as loud as others. Um, so I heard in that before uh, Jerry's swamp thing over there uh, <laughs> comment was, you're a Michigan native. Yes, sir, I am. I was born uh, in Gross Point and lived in Michigan until I was about five. Um, all of my extended family is still there, and I get back three or four times a year for... Um, wow. Well, this Welcome is, to the studio. We got to get you in. Yeah. Well, we're uh, that would in the... Be terrific. I would love that. Yeah, we're in the Golden Tower here at the Fisher Building, and so home of WJR, and uh, so we're, we're, we're excited to talk to you, and it's nice to have that, that Michigan connection as well. So, you know, one thing I would say is having spent a good bit of my life in this same arena of advocacy and and advocating on behalf of, you're exactly right. I mean, this mission of Feeding America and our 208 food banks across the nation that serves every county in America about how do we create food security, how do we stop hunger, uh, it is a, it is, it's like a calling almost. I mean, it's, it's a mission that is worthy of us investing the one handful of life that we each have. So that's great. Thanks for being with us. 
let's get into the deep end, Jerry. Take us to where um, where we need to go. Well, you know, we we've covered um, the the government shutdown in a couple different ways while it was ongoing. You know, our first sort of coverage, we said, uh, let's just be rational. Let's really let's really understand what's actually happening and what the impact could be, and let let's not just you know get crazy here. Let's just take this a step at a time. Then our next show a couple weeks later, we were a little more intensely saying, okay, if this continues. There really could be some serious, serious fallout from this. And before we got to this show, uh, the shutdown was ended, um, at least for three weeks. And so now I think what we want to cover is, okay, what did we learn from this? And and what do we know the actual impact is? So I think the first thing we'd like you to talk about are, you know, what's your response to those two questions? What did we learn from the shutdown? And, and what do we think the actual impact on the ground was? Sure. Um, in terms of what we've learned, I think we may still be sort of in the process of sort of sorting out what it all meant. And I, I think that's especially true because we're only in a sort of a temporary reprieve right now. We'll see what happens uh, come February 15th. I, I, I do think it's clear that among the lessons learned, and as has been obviously very well reported, and everyone listening I'm sure knows that this was the longest by a, a, a very considerable margin, the longest um, period during which the parts of the, the federal government were shut down. And it lasted long enough that we did begin to see very real impacts on um, the, the initial impacts and the, the sort of most sort of negative um, consequences really started for the, the people who work for the federal government and for the agencies that were shut down, the 800,000 mm-hmm. um, uh, paid um federal government employees, and then estimates are between a million and I've seen as high as four million for folks who are um, employed by contractors with the, the federal government and the agencies that were affected. Wow, I hadn't, people. I hadn't heard that. that yeah, these are four these million. Are wow. Yeah, I don't, we're still working on trying to get a, a better number. Right. Um, but the, the, the real sort of tragic reality for those people is currently they are not projected to receive back pay. Right. And these are predominantly folks who work in the cafeterias and are the security guards and are the nighttime cleaning crews for federal facilities all across the country. Hmm. They typically earn between 450 and 650 dollars a week. Um, we've, we're seeing and hearing now stories about those folks are facing eviction from apartments um, at risk of having uh, utilities turned off. There have been stories that some have already lost their health insurance because their employer did not receive payment from the federal government and were not able to make um, the monthly uh, payment for the health insurance. Wow, um, the ripple and, and effect is just kind of just keeps it's rolling. Really, it's really bad, and, and we know that they're turning to food banks. We are working uh, with some members in both the House and the Senate who have introduced legislation that would provide back pay to those folks. Um, we're hoping we, hmm. we will have some materials out for the network um, by the end of the day today, and we hope that awesome. the banks will join us in that effort. 
and the, their, their, their goal and their objective is to try and have a provision included in legislation that hopefully, knocking on wood here, will reopen or keep the government open beyond February 15th. So there's well, a that's one short- of the things we want to talk with you about in the next segment. We hope you'll stay with us. He's Jeff Plague, the Feeding America Director of Tax and Public Policy in Washington, D.C. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. The three of us will be back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought on WJR with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're back here on Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the studio, and our guest, Jeff Plegg, the Feeding America Director of Tax and Public Policy, working in Washington, D.C., on behalf of our mission of creating food security all across the nation, and especially here in Michigan. We like to be first here in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, we do. And, and Jeff, you're a Michigan native, so, you know, I, I know it's cool in uh, Washington, D.C., but, brother, it's cold up here. <laughs> yeah, I've been in touch with a number of family members, and uh, I'm glad to be here. It's it's a balmy uh, nine degrees this morning when I walk <laughs> there out. There you go. I like door, it. So. I like Feeling it. Feeling good here. Seem balmy here. So, um, look, this is a lot of great stuff, and uh, that, that segment went really fast, and I appreciate the comments really you know, particularly about the ripple effect. And economically, we know that some reports have said, you know, that the shutdown costs the economy about $1.2 billion a week. And then there's a figure floating around of somewhere over the overall, when you talk about like workers being out, um, about $7 billion total impact on our economy. And that's just something that we can hardly stand individually or, you know, as a, as a whole. So, Jerry, I know you've got a couple of specific things that, that that are percolating in your mind there, so take us down that road. Well, I mean, one of, the, one of the main things that we believe about food security is that we can we can reach it, that, that food insecurity is a solvable problem. But in order to do it, you have to know who's hungry, how much help do they need, and for how long. And I think we have a real opportunity with the government shutdown to explain how these things happen. So in this case, something outside somebody's control, and we're talking about contract workers for the government who were affected by the government shutdown. This is nothing they caused. It wasn't based on poor decision-making or bad planning on their part. It was based on poor decision-making and bad planning by somebody else who gets paid a lot more than they do. But as a result, they became hungry, and they needed a certain amount of help. But that help is more complicated than just providing food. So we did a self-sufficiency standard study just over a year ago where we looked at what are the components of a low-income person's budget so that we could understand when these things happen, how does that change their household? What are the things that they used to be able to pay for that they now can't pay for? And what you just said is they can't pay their rent. They can't pay their health care bill. They, you know, there are so many things that start to happen when when people get into the situation where they have to make these trade-offs. You also said something really interesting when we were on the break about it's one-tenth of the year that, that the shutdown for these for these contract like workers... Like within a day and a half or something. Right. E- exactly right. And so when you think about losing 10% of your income because somebody else made a decision that affected you and your household, I mean, that's a pretty heavy load to bear. And I think all very relevant when we start to say... 
This is the concrete, practical, on-the-ground impact. Now, tell us again how many government contract workers this was. Estimates are, we know it's more than a million. Some news reports have gone up to four million. It's it's not entirely clear to us. And as I mentioned, we're working with a couple of offices on the Hill um, who, are, who are advancing legislation to try and ensure that those folks do get back pay and trying to get a handle on exactly how many um, people it is. But it's difficult to know for sure um, because these aren't folks who are directly working for the government and so there aren't records and the the sort of paper trail of the, the federal contracts that the government has with the employers don't always have numbers of employees that are affected. So we don't know exactly. It, it It's a lot. It's more than a million. It's probably closer to a couple million um, at a minimum. And again, these tend to be, in a lot of instances, lower paying jobs and, and folks who really don't have the ability to absorb the loss of 10% of their income for a year. And I think, again, as we get smarter and we continue to catalog this, this is the impact, this is the cost of it, this is uh, the kinds of things we need to think about when anything that looks similar to this happens, I think it empowers us to create a safety net that actually works. And I think that's one of the most significant things that we in the food banking community have got to be about. We have to have a safety net that actually works for people, and learning these things is what's going to do that. So again, thank you for your work and for continuing to uh, to help us learn more about this. So to that end, what's the next thing we should be thinking about and learning from this? You know, there is, I think, growing momentum in, in D.C. right now. And I think p- part of it is very natural because of just how dire the consequences have been for for so many people. And, and we've been focusing right now on the sort of impact on people who have found themselves in need in many cases for the first time of assistance from food banks. But, mm-hmm. you know, there were the broader implications. And one of the things I think that might have finally been sort of an impetus to get the, the shutdown ended, at least temporarily, was when airports started grounding flights because of a shortage of, of security um, employees available to do the work. I think there are some very broad implications that we still haven't even sort of understood. But I think all of that has has sort of come together to sort of create a, a momentum for legislative efforts to prevent shutdowns from happening again. Um, you know, these things have been reported on in, in recent days, um, though it's, it's not a new phenomenon since government shutdowns first began in the early 1980s, legislation was introduced almost immediately that it would have sort of provided uh, an automatic mechanism to make sure the government remained open, even if um, policymakers here in Washington were not able to come to agreement and enact bills to fund government agencies. Um, There are pluses and minuses, I think, Um, arguments certainly credible in favor and against um, going down that road, the, to me, the most compelling argument is what we've been discussing now. You know, had there been in place a mechanism to keep the government from shutting down, um, an awful lot of people who are being forced to make difficult decisions in their their with their finances would not have been put in that position. But at the same time, I, there are, I think, concerns about um, 
the the use of an automatic continuing resolution, which is sort of what the mechanism would be, sure. um, favors uh, the status quo in terms of spending. Um, you know, most proposals that we've seen would simply automatically trigger an extension of federal spending at previous year's funding levels, um, which could be problematic, particularly in, in the case of social service programs and, and poverty prevention programs. Kind of like um, the same effect that block granting would have. Exactly right. You're not allowing for or providing even increases to keep up with cost of living. Right. Um, a couple of the proposals that we've seen would actually, as an incentive um, for policymakers to come to agreement and enact legislation, would be periodic decreases in funding by 1%. The, the, the legislation, I think, that's got the most sort of co-sponsorship, at least on the Republican side of the aisle, would every th- either three or four months mm-hmm. reduce spending across the board by 1%, which would be really problematic, I think, for a lot of the people who um, tend to be um, in need of assistance from food banks and, and take advantage of other um, sort of federal assistance programs. Another quick sort of observation on the problem with continuing current year funding, excuse me, we, we are working right now, food banks are continuing to receive for storage and distribution funding for TFAP foods, the level of of funding that was appropriated last year, which was just over $64 million. Had the fiscal year 2019 um, appropriations bill for agriculture that was negotiated between the House and the Senate been enacted on October 1st, that amount would have increased by $30 million to, to not just over $94 million. Tomorrow will be one-third of the way into the current fiscal year. So that $30 million increase that Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate agreed was important to provide to our food banks We've already lost ten million dollars of that. Yeah, that's an excellent point, and I and I'm gonna just step in for a minute here because uh, we're gonna get to the end of a segment, and I and I wanna I wanna give us a minute to, you know, kind of put this all together in a few statements. So we know that as a result of this pain of the shutdown, people are trying to figure out how to prevent it from happening, and there's some really difficult challenges in that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, there's a real impact in the amount of money that food banks got, because when they stop spending it, they're not going to spend they're not going to respend it. That, in other words, that time has gone by, and so that money is just gone. It's not going to be something that, at least without significant so effort, just comes back. Exactly right. right. Or at least difficult to recover. Did I understand that right from what you just said? Well, the, the point I was making was a little bit different. So the, the funding that was lapsed um, during the shutdown, that, will be, that money will all be made available again. Oh. But, at, but at previous year's funding levels, because we were operating under a continuing resolution. Right. Ah, there we right. go. There, there, we was, go. there was an increase that will be provided if we get away from this sort of continuing resolution world. And the, the point I was trying to make is that's generally what would be the solution to stopping shutdowns in the future is basically just becoming reliant on... I think all this legislation that's resolution. being proposed has that component right. of a right. continuing re- resolution. And I, I think there's not competing bills, but there are bills that are like one another in the House and the Senate that are trying to take this option of a shutdown 
because there's no money, right, been, being appropriated off the table. But I think one of the things and one of the important takeaways from this part of the conversation is the machine of government is complicated. It's very big. There's a lot of moving parts. And there's unintended consequences when you start just shutting things down because it's not just, oh, well, we'll we'll pay this back over time. There are some things you just can't do. It, it becomes too complicated to fix after the fact. And so I think that is an important takeaway. And that affects people. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and certainly is affecting the food bank. So I think that's a, a an important part, again, of cataloging these things that we learn so that we can make more compelling arguments and actually get people the help they need when they need it. Jeff Clegg, the Feeding America Director of Tax and Public Policy in Washington, D.C., representing all of our network and standing in the gap for the people that we serve. Jeff, thanks so much for being our guest on Food for Thought today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I enjoyed it and and hope to have the chance again and hope you guys stay warm. Well, you'll have the chance again. Now that we know you come here a few times a year, we'll we'll make sure it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get you in. Jeff, thanks in the so much. And summer. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. yeah, you bet. Jerry and I'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Brought to you by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Thanks, everybody. Jerry and I are back. Dr. Phil Knight here, Jerry Brisson, who is the president for the Food Bank Council Board of Directors and the CEO and president at Gleaners Community Food Bank here in southeast Michigan as well. Jerry, that was uh, Jeff Plague, and he's our guy, one of our guys in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, we've had a good many of our team from D.C. on, particularly during the shutdown. Kate Leon was on a few weeks ago to help us understand it. But I think some of the things that Jeff talked about here really puts the shutdown in perspective of how it affects people's lives, the economy, and even this idea of um, legislation to take the, 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 the tactic of a government shutdown away has a cost. There's no question about it. And, and I think, as we've often said on this show, doing quick legislation is often the worst mistake you can make. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it, it is really, really important to, to make legislation thoughtful. And, yep, there was a lot of pain in the shutdown, and we certainly experienced it in our food banking world. Uh, but maybe more pain if we just haphazardly throw together, let's make sure this never happens again. I'm not saying it should happen again, but I am saying we need to be very thoughtful about the consequences of of uh, something that impactful. I mean, again, the government shutdown was a $1.1 trillion appropriation for which they were arguing about $5.7 billion. Right. So, And they still are arguing about that. <laughs> yeah, well, and rightfully so. They should be arguing. That's their job. Their job is to argue positions and come up with solutions. They got half of that right. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know... Uh, You talk about knee-jerk legislation. Uh, I think we just camp there for just a moment because I do think that that we have to look at this and go, which set of problems do we want to deal with in the future? Now, we've experienced a government shutdown, the longest in history, the third of this administration, and we know what those problems look like. And quite frankly, 
we were just a few days, not to be too too dramatic here, but a couple of weeks, and we were had been in a very difficult circumstance in the food bank world, where a lot of if SNAP benefits had gone unfunded. Uh, we talked about in our meeting, in our board meeting, well, I could scale my operation up 10%. I could scale it up 15%. And we both know that it would have made very little, if any, difference compared to being SNAP being unfunded in our communities. Well, SNAP uh, provides, we estimate, $1.79 of economic value for every dollar you spend. On top of that, it affects Well, I mean, nearly 300,000 households just in southeast Michigan. So, you know, taking food away from 300,000 households for any length of time has a tremendously negative impact on people's lives. And even we talked about the million to four million government contract workers nationwide that were affected by the shutdown. You when you start talking about the SNAP program, it's it's astronomically bigger and so the response gets to be so much the point more being is the 10 percent you could roll your operation out would have had little if no effect on that 300,000 people who would have been without those benefits that's exactly right i mean snap does in a month what we do in a year so 12 for every meal we provide it provides 12 and i don't think that we as a public really have graphs the significance and how close we were. So that's one set of problems that we need to say. Now, which set of problems do we want to deal with? We want to deal with the problems associated with another government shutdown, or do we want to deal with the problems associated with taking that tactic off the table, and how do we do that, and what problems does that create? And we have a choice to make. Which set of problems do we want to deal with? But rarely do we ever have a choice that is not associated with some type of problem solving. I mean, that's right. And and that's that's what we should be doing. I mean, we know that the, these these social problems that are, you know, widespread and never been solved before are going to take a lot of deep thinking to solve. And that's part of why we do this show is yeah. to is to understand and catalog what we know so that we can create better solutions. And I and I'm really proud of that. Yeah, I am too. Well, I think Jeff uh, Plague, the Feeding America Director for Tax and Public Policy there uh, in Washington, D.C., um, you know, I, I think brought up a few things, and I really liked how he was able to pull, boil it down to this is the impact on people. Yep. It's, it's, just, it's just not policy, and it's just not programs, and they don't live existentially out there and doesn't affect people. It really bothers people's lives and their livelihoods. And maybe even in a catastrophic way when your health insurance gets cut and some other things happen to you. Um, I, I do think, though, while we're talking about the safety net and the size and scope of it, when something works well, it's when it's easiest to take it for granted, right? When something works well, it becomes invisible. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that, you know, the government shutdown made a little more visible the the true effectiveness of the safety net and that it's working well and that it's really doing a good job in so many ways that when you take it away and it and it starts to look like you might not have it how catastrophic that could be now here we are after a week of school closures and i want to point out another part of the safety net that we take for granted and that's all the meals kids get in school 
And so in my five counties, it's it's 300,000 kids that get free or reduced price lunch in school. So when school is closed for just a couple days, the impact of that, if those kids are getting two meals a day and there's 300,000 kids, that's 600,000 meals a day. Now, if you have then two days of school closed, that's 1.2 million meals that those kids didn't get collectively, right? Gleaners Hmm. distributes about, you know, three or four million meals a month, depending on some months are a little more and sure. you know when when it's a little bit busier or there's a little bit more food available so so by the time you get to your third day of school being closed you're already at half of what we normally do you're increasing the burden on the food bank network right. by 50% the third day that school is closed now hmm. we talked about maybe if we really ramp up and we and we get some donations during the shutdown, maybe we can improve our distribution by 10 or 15%. So three days of school being closed creates a demand in, in our community of 50% more than what we do every month. And that's, that's as many as 4 million meals per month. And so I, I think it's really important that we as a community understand that the safety net is working for us when we're not noticing when we're not thinking about it, and it's working so well that it's, it makes the problem of hunger and food security invisible to us. And part of what I think we really need to be focused on on our show, and we are, of course, is recreating some visibility to what is the safety net actually doing for us, what do we need to do further, and how does that make our community better? Conversely, when the safety net disappears, whether it's from a government shutdown or extremely cold weather, there are consequences to that that are happening to families right now who are going to have a harder time paying their bills this month, not only because it's cold, but because those kids did not get those meals in school, and the cumulative impact is pretty significant. So let me see if I can get you to wrap that part up, because I think you said that very, very well. Uh, in fact, I, th- I think that's probably one of the most insightful things that I've heard you say on this show in two years. And you've said a lot of them, but th- I think that was really we- very well stated. So let me see if I can get you to wrap it up a little bit. So I tell my team at the Food Bank Council and Network, don't just be a problem spotter. You got to be a problem solver. Anybody can see it, right? And well, what are you going to do about it? And I think you got an idea about how legislation could be enacted that wouldn't cost anybody, the federal or the state government, any more money to help meet the needs of these kids when they're out of school because of weather like the polar vortex. Well, I think that... If we, if we take the safety net to the next level of effectiveness and we say, let's spend every dollar that we've budgeted in the right way, I think if you say there is an impact when school is shut and food banks could help, let's take the same reimbursement rate that the school would have gotten if school would have been open and let food banks use those funds to provide food to families when school is shut down, particularly if it's more than a day. Right. And, and we already have a network. We already 
already work with schools. We already know that we can create a very healthy and appropriate mixed boxes of food that families can take home and prepare for themselves. And we can do that at significantly less cost than a prepared meal. Mm-hmm. So let's empower the families to feed the kids at home. Let's get them that food when school is closed. And we could do that for about 37 cents a meal. Wow. So the bottom line is there is a way for us to work together now that we understand and know the problem to actually solve the problem when it happens. It takes a little pre-preparation. It takes a little bit of legislative change so you can free up those dollars for food banks across the state to reach those families with food and at least, at least get the most urgent needs met when these sorts of incidents happen. He's Jerry Brisson, not just a problem spotter, but a problem solver. He's our co-host. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're going to come back to wrap up this show, this edition of Food for Thought, in just a moment. Welcome back to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. I guess it's time for a little food for thought. Think policy doesn't matter? That decisions made by elected officials don't matter? Listen to the news out of England regarding their exit or their Brexit from the European Union. The UK's biggest food retailers have signed an open letter by the British Retail Consortium which warns the country's food security is at risk from a no-deal Brexit. A no-deal Brexit threatens the UK's food security, and will see higher prices and empty shelves in the supermarket, according to a letter from the British Retail Consortium. This was signed by the biggest food retailers in the UK. Policies matter, and if food security is our value, our non-negotiable item, then standing in the gap for those who have little voice is part of our responsibility, too. Helping to inform, educate, and develop policy, positive policy, that, like the tide, lifts all boats in the harbor, not just a few. That's it for this edition of Food for Thought. Follow Jerry and I on Twitter and other social media. You can find us there. And until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.